2: Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks conversation brought to you by the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool game. Shots on goal, goals against average and points per game can make or break your week, but don't look, overlook BPMM. Wendy's Bacon Portobello Mushroom Melt. shirt. Sure, it may not help you win weekly prizes with Wendy's and Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool fantasy, but unlike your predictions, it never disappoints so try your luck but don't push it because the bacon portobello mushroom melt is only back for a limited time and if you miss it you won't get a second chance as I found out this week sign up for daily face-off survivor pool fantasy today sponsored by Wendy's and the Wendy's app I didn't even get any picks wrong this week Harmon I got my Monday pick right because Quinn Hughes got a point who hasn't on the Canucks lately but I forgot to do it on Tuesday like in time for the game I, I went at like four o'clock and it won't let me do any picks so I need oh, to. Oh, nice
1: excuse, Quads. You win one Whatever. and then and then you just want to say you were undefeated for the week. That's Oops, a good way I forgot. I forgot to I forgot to play. <laughs>
2: I'll play this week and it'll be better. Speaking of things being better, of course, my name is Dave Guggelli. That is Harmon Dial. Our technical producer is Grady Sass. Uh, we didn't make the trek to the studio today because as as was mentioned on yesterday's show, Harmon's vehicle doesn't have, or it is rear wheel drive, so he couldn't make it to the studio. So we like to do another show uh, from our homes today. And people wanted to see, um, people want to see some stuff behind us, some new decoration. You got to still decorate your walls, but. I was at my mom's house this morning, and in my childhood bedroom, I had this, uh, it's not a painting, it's like a print, but it's a numbered print, there's only like 21,000 of them made, it's the 94 team in court, and it's on trial, and, and I, 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 someone has told me the history of these photos, but I think there was one made for four years in a row, and this is one of them, this is them in a courtroom, and it, that's the 94 team in there, like Gino Ojik is right there, as a uh, security guard in the courtroom. And it's really cool because Arthur Griffiths is there. I think he's the judge. Um, Really cool. Really, really cool little piece of art that I had in my, like I said, it was in my childhood bedroom and I was like, all right, it's time to get this up there. So I threw it up on the wall at my apartment and I like it. And of course I put the Julio Rodriguez, uh, Julio Rodriguez jersey there as well. So I decorated my walls, Harmon, and I'm pretty proud of it.
1: That's awesome. Uh, But of course I can't help but but point out that you still found found a way to get a baseball reference in there. Seriously, you, I'm just like so proud of you. This is Coopy's history and then oh, here's my baseball jersey. Just just got to drop that in there too.
2: Well, hey, I'm a man I'm a man of many hats. I wear many hats. I know I said that incorrectly. Speaking of which, I got to get this off right off the top here. Uh 21 on Twitter pointed out. I called Philadelphia to Pittsburgh a short drive. Look, I know US geography to some extent. I did not realize Philly and Pittsburgh were five hours away. Cause we were just talking really? about, remember we were talking. Yeah. It's five. It's a five hour drive. It's like uh, one side of Pennsylvania is Philadelphia. The other side is Pittsburgh. I didn't know that. And I figured it'd we be like talk-
1: three hours or something.
2: Totally. Like we were talking to Frank Saravalli the other day and he was mentioning that, Oh yeah, it's a short drive for me to get to New York, to, to New Jersey or whatever. And he's like, I could have just driven there. So I'm thinking, okay, well, it's in the same state that Frank's in, in Pennsylvania, so it must be close. It's not close at all.
0: you got to watch out for Yerky, man. He's a stickler. He's the, uh, he's the official fact checker on the Sakaris and Price show. Any little blimp or hiccup or alternative fact, as uh, a former U.S. president used to say, he tweets at me. He tweets at Matt and Blake. He will let us know. So be careful, quads. He's keeping you on your toes. Yerky's gotten us a couple times before, but
2: I appreciate it. I appreciate being, uh, having it kind of pointed out to me when I'm wrong. And it's it happened so little, so it's nice to have someone point it <laughs> out. Uh, but Corey Anderson said five hours isn't that far. I'm not even going to take that angle of, like, standing by it. I didn't know it was five hours away. In my head, I'm thinking short drive. I was thinking it's, like, two hours. Those guys obviously flew. But to Corey's credit, I will say, when Seattle came in the league, everyone's was like, oh, my gosh, the Canucks finally have someone that's a close drive away. Oh, three, four hours to Seattle, right? Who's at the border, right? Is the border agent looking through the Canucks team bus? Might take a while. Might take a while. Oh, anyways, it takes
1: a while. I don't know how we got here. I, uh, I'm working on a story where I'm talking to players about what it's like being on the team charter. And this is obviously, I guess, more not just in terms of Seattle, but anytime they cross the states, it's apparently a running joke that they hate crossing the U.S. border because Canucks have so many Europeans and they get held up a ton, apparently.
2: I can't wait for that story do you have any idea when that story is coming out
1: probably next month because i'm spending a lot of time working on this there's a lot of fun stuff there's like a story of a player that forgot his passport uh to one of the seattle games in preseason they're all on on the team charter and they have to wait for the player to go to go get his passport like it's just a bunch of these like funny little stories and yeah i'm really excited for for that one did you talk to players from like visiting
2: teams? Because I know you do that, or was it just Canucks that you no, talked to? Not. That's even better. That's going to be a great story to hear uh, on Canucks conversation. Speaking of great stories, four straight road wins, Harmon, and four straight game-winning goals for Elias Pettersson. The titles of title of last night, Stanchies from Wyatt Aren't, who we got to get on the show here. Grady pointed out, he's like, "What happened to Wyatt? He usually comes on every Friday. I've forgotten to text him. He hasn't texted me, and we just kind of." have fallen out of contact when it comes to his hits on Canucks Combo. We'll get him on uh, next week, perhaps even Monday, when we're breaking down uh, a game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. that starts at 10 a.m. But let's focus on the one last night in Pittsburgh, as it says. A big win for the Canucks in Pittsburgh last night.
1: Yeah, that was such a wildly entertaining game. Before we even get into the Canucks performance, just as a fan of hockey as a whole, that was breathtaking. Experience. You saw so much high-end skill on both sides. It had a bit of everything, right? You had Pedersen obviously looking unstoppable. On the other side, you have Sidney Crosby, probably the best talent of our generation, putting on an absolute show on the other side. You also have two of the game's best offensive defensemen in Quinn Hughes and, and Eric Carlson. So you have the skill shining, but you also had moments where both goaltenders were excellent. Tristan Jari in the second period held the fourth down. Thatcher Demko was unbelievable in the third period. He had some emotions, some feelings, some physicality in, thir- in the third period as well. The depth lines were sort of involved, were competitive on both sides. The The tension of Pittsburgh coming back, it felt like more than just a mid-January game between an East team and a West team. This felt like a playoff game, and I, I don't know, the speed of it, the, the skill, the, the feeling all-encompassing. It was so much fun to watch, and for the Canucks to be able to cap it off with the exhilarating OT winner, and I'm sure we'll we'll unpack Pedersen's performance deeper. But what stood out to me about his game winner there was he had Sidney Crosby, I believe, breathing down his neck on the backcheck, and for a split second there, I was wondering, okay, how much time do you really have to pull off your Pull off your deke because a lot of times in OT and breakaways in general, sometimes players will overestimate how much time they have. And as they're trying to make, let's say, a move to the back end, they get stripped or they aren't able to fully execute the play they wanted to. Great awareness, poise, and patience by Pedersen to not feel the heat and understand that, look, I've still got enough time here. And he made the move to To beat Jari on his own terms. He didn't speed up and rush because he had Crosby on his back. He timed that perfectly and it was um, an unreal night for him. He he looked unstoppable almost every time he stepped on the ice.
2: We have so much to talk about with this game. And of course, Elias least is kind of at the forefront of it all. So we will talk about him more, but it's funny because the thing that I kept coming back to, you just said it felt like a playoff game. I keep saying this. I said it against the Rangers as well you got a good look at what the officiating is going to be like if the Canucks come up against one of Gary Bettman's favorite teams, right? Like, look, I know know it was pretty down the middle. Like, I didn't think it was against the Canucks, per se, as maybe it was more uh, in that game against the Rangers. There was a lot of uncalled penalties on both sides, and I think that was what made it more of a playoff game. The bit that I'm doing kind of starts when you get into... Yeah, Crosby got the call, but right before that, there was a there was a sequence where Besser could have had a call against him. I think Kuzmenko as well was the other one on that same shift that could have had a call um, drawn for the Canucks. And of course, it didn't happen. And then Crosby draws a penalty moments later. I just thought it was hilarious that that happened because it goes into my bit further about when you play these teams, you're getting a glimpse of what it's going to look like when you face them in the cup final. But um, I did want to focus on... Thatcher Demko, a bit, but let's kind of close the conversation around Elias petterson because I thought he was more like more of the same from what we've seen in this road trip. But I'm also not afraid to call this his best game of the road trip. And I think yeah. I might say that be almost more so because it's not like Miller or Besser were bad, but I thought Miller and Besser were equally as noticeable as Elias Pedersen. Uh, through this road trip, through this entire road trip when those guys have been together, I thought those guys were equally as noticeable. And then last night, it felt like it was Pedersen that was the engine driving everything on that line. And I, I don't know if I had that same feeling earlier in the road trip, but that's the feeling I got watching last night's game.
1: Absolutely. I don't think it was JT Miller's best night. I think he struggled in the faceoff dot against uh, Crosby. And just defensively, there were a couple moments here. Nothing egregious, but a couple turnovers in the offensive zone as well, where I don't think he was as sharp as he's been through early parts of the road trip. And you're absolutely right. Pedersen was the engine. You could tell from the very first shift how quickly on his own entry, he was able to stick handle with lightning quick hands yet make a play right away. And he nearly set up a scoring chance right off the hop where it was a combination of, he's got the lightning quick hands, but he also has the, the the patience to kind of change speed so it's like one moment he's attacking the zone quickly but then he'll pull off a hesitation move and he'll throw the defender off that way and he has a poise and the vision to find teammates on uh, on the back door the way he did on uh, on Besser's goal he relentlessly did that he was so dangerous off the rush that those are the types of sequences where you're where you're just like how do you even defend against him honestly I don't think anybody, any defenseman last night could have stopped him in the NHL. And it was good on, I mean, Besser going to the net in those situations, but that was as dynamic and as electric. Um, I've seen Patterson in terms of single-handedly making plays off the rush, where when you look at the conversation of, I think, during parts of November, fans were maybe hoping for a little bit more out of him at five-on-five that's what was maybe, I don't want to say missing, but it wasn't as prevalent how dynamic he was carrying the puck through the neutral zone and, and making those uh, unbelievable, unbelievable plays in transition. That's really what, um, what stood out to me.
2: I don't think it's a coincidence, Harmon, that we're seeing Pedersen play like this after a good amount of time for the Canucks to have a bit of a break here. And look, the conversation we were having before Christmas and everything was that, yeah, okay, this guy's clearly banged up, but he needs some line mates. I can't decide what was hurting him more. Whatever physical thing he was dealing with, if he was dealing with anything, or his line mates. But I lean toward line mates here, and I'm not trying to single out Andre Kuzmenko because I feel like I've been doing a lot of that lately, but it really shows how badly Pedersen has needed some better line mates this season with how he's exploded uh, when he's back with the lotto line.
1: Well, well, when he makes a play to separate from a defender, when he creates space, when he needs an alignment is somebody that has the hockey sense to be in the right spot at an angle where Pedersen can find him with a pass the exact way Besser was on the back door uh, on one of the goals and that's what when you look at Mikheyev and Lafferty, they don't possess that quality. I mean, Mikheyev's shown it at times earlier in the season. He's scored a fair, fair bunch of five or five goals. And some of them have been on the back door where where you're like, OK, Mikhaev's getting open in the high danger areas. But as of late, he wasn't excelling in that department. And then Sam Lafferty just doesn't have the offensive IQ to do that. So that's. I think a a massive difference maker because look, it's such a special quality for an elite talent to be able to in high traffic when there isn't a lot of space to work with to still make those hesitation plays uh, to sort of draw all the attention towards him so that now all of a sudden his line mates are flying under the radar. Well, you need line mates that are actually going to be able to take advantage of, Hey, I'm not, in the spotlight right now because Pedersen is drawing all the attention. And I think that's what Miller and Besser have, have done really well. And and this is the other point too, on one of the other goals, I think it was the Pedersen deflection one. And again, this goes back to the point I made earlier this week about the wide variety of ways they can, the lot line can beat you right now. Miller did an excellent job on the forecheck to win the puck back in an area where they were then able to work it up high, and the Canucks as a whole, this isn't just the of line, are one of the best teams in the NHL NHL right now at creating traffic in the front of the net, screening goaltenders, tips, deflections, and then their defensemen, especially when they're matched with Hughes and Ronick are doing an unbelievable job of shooting for sticks, shooting for the redirection. We also saw it on the power play goal Besser had, where Miller's coming down that left that left half wall and that's a shot pass looking for the stick every single time. So that's really been a bread and butter way for this Canucks team to generate offense. And it's part of the reason why they have been converting at a higher shooting clip. And and Ray Ferraro made this point on the broadcast is they're not taking shots from distance. If there isn't a screen, if there isn't a a potential stick there that could tip or, or redirect the puck. So that's been really noticeable as well.
2: You bring up the Lotto line playing with Hughes and Hironic. I tweeted out last night that that is basically a cheat code to have that five-man unit out there. Uh, Our pal Daniel Wagner tweeted this out after. Uh, It was the hockey viz kind of heat map of Vancouver's 5-on-5 offense with those five guys on the ice. Uh, He said when the Lotto line is on the ice with Hughes and Hironic at 5-on-5, the Canucks expected goals per 60 is 105% better than the NHL average which is bonkers now harm of course small sample size like we know it's a small sample size right but it's also not something you ignore that pairing is humming that line is humming and I think they are making each other better when they're all out on the ice together. it's basically like having a power play at five on five
1: a hundred percent and really it's I mean think about a forward line and a defense pair any you could construct around the NHL looking at all 32 teams is there one that would be better than the lotto line and the Aronic pair the only one that could be close that immediately sort of jumps out and comes to mind would be the would be McKinnon Ratnin and usually they have lekinin on that uh, on that wing sometimes it's Nutrushkin. but if you paired that line with um Taves Makar, that'd be in the same sort of level as Lotto line and Hughesonic but otherwise I mean I'm sure you could think of you know, two, three more examples that would be close, but Lauderdalein and hughes heronic would be right there in that first tier of your dream first line matched with a defense pair. And that gives the Canucks a five-on-five offensive gear that for as successful as they have been this season, they didn't have this earlier in the year. Yeah, Hughes and Horonic have always been dynamite, but the Canucks didn't have a top six line that was feasting this prominently. I mean, JT Miller, early in the year, he was winning in matchup minutes going up against uh, top lines. That was a great story in October, although his two-way form started to slip um, a little bit in um, in November. And, of course, Pedersen, after a hot start, his lines really slowed down in November as well. And on a, lot of, on a lot of nights, it was the bottom six sort of lifting them up. Right now, the top of the lineup is absolutely cooking, and I don't know how you stop them. Honestly, you could watch all the tape you want from this road trip, but there isn't one type of play that they're spamming, that they're exploiting, where sometimes you can, even with, like I remember at points, um, the first year LA matched up with uh, the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs, not last year, the year before, when the Kings were this underdog team and everybody thought, everybody was surprised that they made the playoffs in the first place. They didn't even have Fiala at that point. And everybody's like, oh, 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 uh, Oilers are going to stomp the Kings. And the Kings actually went up 3 2 in that series, narrowly lost. The reason they were competitive is because they realized that the McDavid line, for as dominant as it was, you could sort of slow them down, not totally stop them, but you could slow them down if you inhibited McDavid's ability to pick the puck up off the breakout and really when he winds up in the neutral zone and really gets going. And so the Kings set up this neutral zone trap. That really early in the series was incredibly effective at slowing that line down because they were that line. The McDavid one was really reliant on that one way to, to generate offense. That's not the case for the water line right now. And I think that's what is so exciting for for this team right now.
2: It's funny because usually I'm the passion guy. I'm the one that gets all fired up and loves the vibes. And I'm like, to me, you're right. You're right. It's hard to pick one way that they're operating, but at some point this line is going to slow down. Like we know it, right? Of course. Like,
1: yeah.
2: You're going to slow down at some point. So <clears throat> unfortunately I need to move the conversation away from how great everything is. That second line looks lost, right? Like, they look like they have, I mean, Wyatt tweeted it last night as well. That second line looks like they have no identity. And I don't think it's a problem that can't be fixed. Of course, we've broke down all the trade stuff on yesterday's episode. But aside from like a trade, for me, at least, it's got to be time to put Niels Hoaglander up in the lineup. Like he's got to be playing with Pia Suter at this point, I think, to start the game.
1: Yeah, I think he deserves a shot there. Uh, Taka would probably counter that and say, well, I already gave him a shot in the top six, and nothing really happened uh, in terms of when he played on on the Miller, um, Miller-Bester Miller line. But, but I definitely understand your happen. argument.
2: Sorry to cut you off, but things did happen
1: when uh, they played together. They just stopped I mean, happening. occasionally, but that line's underlying numbers were pretty rough. Pretty but rough. Nobody was complaining when he got demoted. Let's put it that I way. Was. I was. You go back you and were? listen to the tapes. I was complaining. Of course I was. I complained about well, whatever. That was the wrong take. Oh,
2: Glenn no, wasn't working was. towards the end. Okay, I guess I... No, I did complain about it. No, I think it's the right take, and I stand by it. And I stand by this one, too, that he really, really needs a shot. He needs a shot on that line. He's like making a lot out. of
0: unforced errors, like in the neutral zone, in the D zone. Like, it was right after the Christmas, um, Christmas Day, I think it was with the Flyers game. Flyers. Right? Yeah. And what does Tockett hate more than anything? Sloppy defensive plays, not being hard on pucks. And that's been a fault of Neil's pretty much for his whole career, some of the time decision-making in his own Sorry,
2: zone. I just need to put in perspective that this is what we're saying, and the argument is, no, Andre Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikheyev are fine with P.S. right now. Everything's good. No,
0: we're, we're, we're what about-ism.
1: <laughs> I agree with you that he deserves a shot. I'm just saying that. Yeah, I do too, by the way. That's what Rick Tockett would probably tell you if you press him on why isn't Hoagland in the top six right now.
2: Well, I'm not going to press him on that.
1: I might, though. I might at some point. Well, he's, because the, he's the decision maker. He's, he's the guy you got to make your
2: case to. Do you know who else? Do you know, do you know what else Rick Tockett would really like, though? Is if you ask him about Andre Kuzmenko right now. And all the Kuzmenko <laughs> takes that I've been given all week. Rick Talk listening to those. When he's got his headphones on in the plane, that's what he's listening to. He's listening to me throwing out these fire takes about Andre Kuzmenko and how he needs to move his feet. And you come in here saying, no, no, it's fine. He doesn't need to move his feet. Hey, like,
1: no, 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 no. Stop twisting my words. I've always said Kuzmenko needs to be way better. I've just said that I don't believe that he'll ever improve on that consistently because he's such a slow skater and he doesn't have that... He doesn't have that dog in him, you know? Some guys just don't have that dog in them, that competitiveness away from the puck. Kuzmenko has that dog in him when he has the puck on his stick. I don't think he's ever going to have it when he doesn't have the puck on his stick. Okay, let's not rehash the Kuzmenko debate for the
2: third show (laughs) in a row. Uh, I wanted to get this comment from Logan Van Dyke, who said, let's face it, our third line is our second line. And this is really interesting to me because we kind of got a glimpse of what other teams think of the Canucks third line right and according to Logan and what Logan said and according to what we saw on the road what Logan said is correct like teams were matching up on this road trip especially toward the end of it and we'll see what happens in uh, Buffalo and Columbus as well But they're matching up that third line like it's a threat and it is a threat and they're looking closely at it so I'm curious what it's going to look like when the Canucks have control of the matchup when they have the last change at home and again obviously there's on the fly stuff too but I'm curious what happens when they go home, if that third line really is their second line now, because, hey, I think it absolutely has to be. Also, Lachlan, our our, uh, <laughs> our uh, intern in the chat, said, zero days since our last Kuzmenko argument. <laughs> Hopefully we can go the weekend without having one. Uh, and then Jesse C, quads creating a beautiful straw man for harm. And then Karan Elomeo <laughs> quads gaslighting this pod absolutely folks absolutely you know well, how i do it
1: one thing i i should also mention is even though you may not have loved the way the the second line or, or the rest of the lineup outside of law outside a lot line performed it is interesting that you look at the underlying numbers and they at least held their own which is what you need when you stack the lineup you understand that okay first line is going to give you a massive advantage now the job for lines two to four is just don't lose the game don't uh, egregiously lose your matchup and the Suter line. Yeah. They got scored on for one, five on five goal, but the shots at five on five or five, two, they only allowed two shots against at five on five. Uh, the underlying numbers for the Amon line were totally fine too. Uh, same thing. I mean, Garland, Garland, Joshua line created some chances, even though I didn't think it was their best performance overall. There were, there was, there were a couple of uncharacteristic giveaways, especially one that Joshua had in the defensive zone, so, you know, that line's going to play better. But for as, mu- as much as you can look at that second line right now and go, yeah, they need, a- they don't really have an identity right now. And maybe you want to try some different things. They're at least holding their, holding their own. They're not killing you. And honestly, Kuzmeco did create some chances, uh, both from the slot himself and uh, setting up some of his line mates. So uh, credit to them for at least not being a flat out liability.
2: You know that's actually such a great point, Harmon. Um, when it comes to your five-on-five play, and when you have a line like the lottery line humming like it is right now, again, we, we know they're going to slow down at some point. But right now, it's it's a champagne problem to even be talking about the second line struggling because struggling in perspective, the perspective you just laid out, every line is outshooting their competition at five-on-five right now on this road trip. That's how it's been. Like the the second line has maybe probably been their worst line like you might be able to make an argument for that but there's still a good line like they're still putting it together for the Canucks right now and that's what they need they just need their top line to keep scoring and they need their second and third and fourth lines to not lose them the game as you said and I, I think that's a terrific terrific point uh anything else you wanted to get to actually no, I have one more thing I don't know how we haven't brought it up yet that's your Demko like oh yeah arguably the best the final 40 minutes of that game, arguably the best 40 minutes Thatcher Demko's ever played. And look, you talked about how an entertaining the game this was. Like, you look at what happened with Nijelkovic and Tristan Jari coming in. Like, Jari shut the Canucks down. Like, the Canucks kept pushing to start the second, and Jari really shut the door. Um, obviously, the final 10 minutes of that second and the third period weren't great for the Canucks. But then you had Demko at the other end going toe-to-toe with Jari. It was was a fantastic game from a guy who likes goalies. It was a fantastic game for Thatcher Demko and obviously Tristan Jari as well, but we're going to focus obviously on Thatcher Demko, a guy who, by the numbers, like he still picked up wins through the month of December, but look, he wasn't making a ton of saves. The save percentage was uh, falling a bit in the month of December. We saw a few starts where he was in below 900. That's just uncharacteristic for Demko. And I pointed this out on Rinkwide. I pointed this out on this show as well. I was never putting the... Um, sounding the alarm bells when Demko was starting to slip because look we see Connor Hellebuck right now probably the only other guy giving Demko a serious run for his money for the Vesna right now Hellebuck started the year with similar numbers to Demko and now Hellebuck's on another planet Demko's starting to catch up to him again with these past couple starts and that was why I didn't really think it was something that you had to worry about too much just more of an interesting observation was that Demko was starting to slip but I think the more important one is that every goalie, every star player goes through stretches like that. And Demko last night sure looks like he's turned a corner.
1: Definitely. And I wanted to shout out another couple of performances that probably flew under the radar. Number one, Nikita Zadorov. I thought it was a terrific all-around performance from him. Nothing flashy, nothing over the top, nothing highlight, real material, but such a sound two-way performance from him. I thought he controlled the game from the back end when he was on the ice in the sense that he was making sound decisions on the breakout. He was using his feet to create controlled exits, making smart outlet passes and helping the Canucks transition pucks up the ice, which man, this blue line had trouble with last year. And I mean, ever since really the end of the, the ever since the fall of the 2011 core on top of that stout physical play, and when there was the occasional slip up, how many big block, big shot blocks did he have in in dangerous scoring areas? So I thought it was a monster two way performance from him, and and the numbers back that up. I, I I thought it was a great performance just watching him play. I hadn't even looked at the underlying play control, and the underlying play control numbers backed that up. He led all Canucks uh, skaters with um, an eighteen to ten shot attempt differential, plus eight. For the Canucks when he was on the ice, so I thought he was terrific. And then Teddy Bluger as well, especially on the penalty kill, winning draws. He had that one shift on the second PK where he wins the draw, Canucks get to clear, and then on the four check, he ties it up against the boards, single handedly shaving off 35 seconds from the clock. He was winning battles all over the ice. I thought that was a gritty, savvy, workman like defensive performance by Blueger and a penalty kill that. Their numbers in terms of the shots and high danger chances against still aren't looking that pretty, but since December 1st, the PK is in the top half of the NHL, at least in terms of the results. So that's a promising sign moving forward. what do you
2: think about the hit? It's popping in the YouTube live chat right now. Zadorov's on Riley Smith. Riley Smith will be out a while, Uh, no suspension or anything. No, no call on the play
1: either um what did you think of the hit from zadorov on Riley? i thought i thought it could have been a two-minute boarding penalty but i think refs judge those types of hits uh, a lot of time based off how the other player like if the if riley smith had slammed to the ice and completely fallen that's going to be a boarding penalty but because he stayed on his feet i think that was a big reason why zadorov didn't get the penalty even though I think it was on the borderline in terms of whether you wanted to call it a two-minute uh, two minute minor. I, th- I think – let me put it this way. If they called it a two-minute penalty, I would not have been like, oh, that's not a penalty. I think it goes back to the conversation. If you haven't heard it yet, folks, go listen to our interview with John Scott.
2: I think it goes back to that. If the NHL's not going to have any real kind of deterrent in terms of discipline and they're not going to explicitly say, hey, this kind of hit can't happen in our game – Like, if we can have a debate, and I think I lean closer, honestly, I lean closer to it, should have maybe been five or a suspension, maybe, like, a a fine, I don't know. Like, I lean more toward more than a two-minute minor, but for there to be nothing on the play, I think you and I both agree that there probably should have been something, but I'm just, I don't know, I, I think it's more of a, like, I don't even want to get into a debate about what it should have been. I just think it's not good for the game that we're able to even have a debate about it. Like, I, I don't think it's good for the game that nobody really knows what it should have been. And that the refs, the ultimate deciders of it, decided that it should be nothing. Like, I don't think that's good for the NHL. Uh, and Pim Pan Strong in the chat, who's giving me some flack about being shorter than Connor Garland. I'm the same height as Connor Garland, okay? Um, <laughs> but uh, Pim Pan Strong had a good comment here, not the one about my height um he said if it was if that was a canuck we'd be rightfully pissed and i think you know obviously he's talking to the people in the youtube live chat that they're talking to but yeah like if that was at least peterson they're receiving into that i think this yeah. market would probably be calling for more than a two-minute minor i'd say at least but for there to be nothing i don't think that's a good look for the game um and again I, I go back to a lot of what john scott said when he joined the show back on monday i thought that was a really really interesting uh, take that he had about needing to explicitly say what's what's allowed in our game and what isn't because that one was uh yeah that one wasn't a you know that wasn't clear to anybody what that should have been so I just found that interesting do you have anything else from the game before we move on and I know we spent about 35 minutes breaking down this game but do you have anything else you want to get to before we get to uh, anyone else no I'm uh, good there Okay, so folks, get your anyone else's in. I'm going to start. And it's not even anyone else yet. But it's titled Quad Soapbox. And the title of our show says quads is angry. I don't really get angry. Like, I'm not really an angry kind of guy. But I am a little bothered by a few things. And I was going to tweet it out. But then I was like, I don't like Twitter. I don't want to use Twitter. So I'm going to say it on the show. And I'm going to save it. So I've written some notes down. I've written two notes down. Wow, you've done, you've done prep? I've done prep. And there you go. Those are my two notes, okay? The first one <laughs> is I'm aiming my sights at Canucks fans, and I'm aiming my sights at the people on Twitter, the people in the YouTube live chat who are trying to rename the lotto line. Just stop. Who's Dude, doing that? Not... Dude, uh, Rob Williams is one of them. Really? Who's like, Sorry to call you out, Rob. Yeah, Rob's like, oh, it's the Powerball line. Uh, what? Rob did it uh sat i don't know why i'm only calling out members of the media but sat did it when the lotto line started so i'll give sat a free pass on that but rob i I, rob's right in the crosshair sorry rob i know you give me a ride to the rink sometimes when we're pals but i gotta say rob had the the tweet oh it should be the powerball line uh there was there was other people and i don't know their names i've just seen it Uh, someone said drance lotto max
1: Yeah, a lot Lotto of Max, Max with
2: Hughes and Heroni. Great throws egg. Lotto Max at me before the show. Just stop. All these people coming out like, forget <laughs> Lotto Line. Here's an objectively worse name that has, you have to do more mental gymnastics to make it make sense. But here's my idea. Just stop. Lotto Line is a great name. So often, so often, Harm, when people try to name lines, they just pump out the corniest, crappiest ideas you've ever heard. Lotto Line... Actually, I showed up to Jacob Calvert, old uh, writer at uh, Canuck Way when I was there. He was talking about it and saying lotto line like he came up with lotto line. That's a great name. Six forty nine. It makes sense. Everybody should be happy. Don't try to name any line, but definitely don't try to rename that line. And we called the Garland line. Oh, this line needs a name. And just throw it out on Twitter. If you want to see the worst ideas you've ever seen in your life, just tweet out right now, Harmon. Oh, I think the, the third line needs a name. And people are like, oh, no, I already threw out this one. Yeah, it's horrible, but here's my idea. Just stop. Just stop. And I, I'm not trying to tell people how to be fans. I'm not trying to tell people how to have fun. But definitely don't come after the lotto line. Don't try to change the name of the lotto line. It's one of the very few that actually work. Like, you remember the HBK line? Yeah. What were the numbers, jersey numbers? Like, I know Kessel was 81. Bonino was probably 13. And I don't remember what Hagelin was. But wasn't he, like, 62 or something?
1: Probably I, I don't remember for sure. Let's doesn't call it Rutherford. Artwork.
2: Yeah, yeah. This is, this is what I'm trying to say. Imagine if there were Penguins fans. When Hbk line comes out and everybody calls the Hbk line great name, it's a shout out to Sean Michaels. It's a great name. And someone's like, No, no, I have an idea. It should be the sixty two thirteen eighty one line. Shut up! No, that doesn't make any sense. Just stop. It's a good name. Just leave it how it is. Just you don't need to rename it when it actually works. When we can actually all agree. Most of us can agree at least that it actually works. Just leave it, just leave it. It's a good thing. My final one this one is with Canucks fans, and I apologize because I like to think that I come to the defense of Canucks fans when it's necessary. And right now, I want to come to the defense of Canucks fans and everybody. I can't remember who it was, but I've been seeing it. Um, someone came on radio or whatever and started to, it was a national guy, and started Greg Greg Washinsky. Yeah. Oh, I like Greg. Darn. I wish it wasn't Greg. But anyways <laughs> so it was Greg. I like Greg. But I have to say, what I heard was that a national guy came on the radio in Vancouver and told Canucks fans not to be cocky about their team, and that this is what led to everybody wanting the Bruins to win in 2011. I'm sorry, and this isn't aimed at Greg because Greg's one of the good ones. It's really not. But when you're a Canucks fan. And you had to live through 10 years, like 10 years of the national media continuously gaslighting you and telling you, no, no, this objectively bad decision by Jim Benning is actually good for this reason. And you guys don't know how good you got it and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And then you've got those same people saying, no, 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 Quinn Hughes isn't as good as you guys think. No, no, your team isn't as good as you guys think. I'm sorry, but at the halfway mark, when you're where you are, When the Canucks are where they are right now, Canucks fans have every right to be cocky about their team. Go talk your crap, Vancouver. Don't listen to these people that are telling you, no, 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 you have to play nice because you're going to want all of us on your side. No, no, no. When everybody was on the Canucks side, the Canucks sucked. Canucks fans don't want you on their side. Canucks fans don't need you on their side. The last time that you weren't on Canucks fans' sides, they went to the cup final. So don't use that as some threat. That like, oh, no, don't get cocky because last time, that's why everybody wanted you to lose in the Stanley Cup final. Everybody liked Canucks fans because they saw how pitiful the situation was in Vancouver. We don't want to go back to that. Nobody wants to go back to that in Vancouver. This team is a cup contender, and they are starting to act like it, and their fans are starting to act like it, and they absolutely should. That's my take on it.
0: Embrace the villain role. Grady, I think, did you want to chime in there? Oh, I was going to say, washinsky why are you gate? keeping fans and telling them how to behave. Fans are going to be fanatics. They're going to be lunatics. They're going to be biased to their own team. And like you mentioned, quads after a decade of dismal hockey, people are going to get excited. Do fans cross the line from time to time? Yeah, of course they do. But that's a part of the fandom. That's a part of the craziness, right? This has been a tortured city, a tortured franchise since 1970. This is arguably what the second best season in its existence, let the people
2: enjoy it, right? Corey, Corey Anderson, I've had to watch Jason Magna and Michael Shapu. I'll yeah. see what I want when I want. Absolutely. And this is so many. I love sea this. Of so many people in the chat. I'm glad you people like this. Um, I, I just, again, I had no notes. These are my only notes about this. Uh, so, I'm glad you people liked it. I'm glad I put it together well. This is really good. Um, Pim Pan Strong said this. Canucks fans don't want you on your side. And he's using the quotation marks, a bunch of bullseye emojis. And I wasn't trying to just read the ones that are nice to me. Um, there was another one from Pimp Strong I wanted to read. Uh, oh, that was so bad from Wish. And again, I like Greg Wyshynski. I'm not trying to like pick on him or anything. Canucks thrive when it's us against the world. We thrive in that environment. And hey, like you won't see the Vancouver f- fan base as
0: united as they are I was right just going to say, when was the last time?
2: That matters, and I'm sorry, yeah. but if Greg Lucinski wants to take a flight or whoever—not Greg—I'm not trying to pick on Greg. I like Greg a lot, but whoever from the National media wants to fly up. to Vancouver and start taking off the car car flags and start telling TransLink that they can't put Go Canucks Go on all the buses, get out of here, get out of here. This city is like it's like Longo said in his Ring of Honor night. Hockey is fun in Vancouver again, and I got to tell you guys, and this like I-, I haven't had as much fun doing this show. As I have recently, and this isn't, of course, this isn't a shot at Faber. I know nobody's going to take it that way, or they shouldn't, at least. But the one thing Faber and I always said was the most fun him and I ever had doing this show was during the bubble, like during the bubble when the games really mattered. And again, it's funny looking back at how the bubble. Everybody, Patrick Alvin even says, "Yeah, it didn't really. Th- those games don't really count, or whatever it was that Patrick Alvine said." But This chat is proof that right now hockey is fun in Vancouver and it's a fun time. Like it's a fun time to watch this team play. It's a fun time to cover this team. I'm not going to rehash it and get all emotional about how abysmal it was to cover this team in recent years. Cause Hey, champagne problems. People have a lot worse jobs than we do, but it was hard. Like it was hard to go into that locker room. And we heard Jeff Patterson talking about it a lot, the fake outrage over the logo and all this sort of stuff. Like, fun again and that matters that matters a lot that matters a heck of a lot to a lot of people and i'm happy i'm happy that canucks fans are back in this situation where they're starting to get told what to do i'm happy i'm happy that canucks fans can all stand together and say no we don't need you
0: but should worry more about his fellow espn writers and ranking seth jones ahead of quinn hughes in their uh top player rankings worry about your own and he forgot crap there greg
2: on my wagon ducks. He forgot to rank him as number one winger in the <laughs> league because that's who the cops are going to go get. <clears throat> okay. Anyways, I I'm Insider. sorry. I took that over. I just really wanted to get that stuff off my chest uh, and I didn't want to put it out on Twitter. So I decided to do it here and uh, yeah, I hope people can uh, appreciate me kind of throwing it all out there, but I just, I don't know, man, I'm getting, I'm starting to get fired up again. And I think that was a knock I had on myself in recent years was, Like, when I started coming into the business, I was really passionate. Really passionate. I'm a pretty passionate guy. Like, I'm a pretty passionate guy. And I feel like I've lost that passion in recent years. And how could you not watching this team? But it's back, man. It's back. I'm ready. I'm ready to go to war for Canucks fans. I'm back. I'm back.
1: I'm officially declaring it. Quads is back. Let's go. This is awesome. I love that rant. And, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is, of course, fans are going to enjoy this year because the year where you're surprisingly good, nothing tops that year in terms of fan enjoyment, because guess what happens next year? Now you got expectations. And it's so funny looking at all these other fan bases across the NHL for contenders. And they'll have like a Colorado's a great, great example. They're they're What? Like a few points behind the Canucks. And yet based off the commentary of how fans are discussing the team and their problems, you'd think they're five, they're playing 500 hockey. Like the bar just gets reset and that's why nothing tops the first year when you're good, when you can enter the playoffs and it feels like you're, you're playing with house money. That's the situation the Canucks are in. Let fans do their thing. Let fans enjoy this. It's been such a painful experience for them. It's not like these national media were the ones that had to stay up and watch the Willie Desjardins Canucks they weren't the ones that had to watch Tyler Grayovac on the second unit power play at times they weren't the ones that had to watch the disappointment of the 2021 season all the dysfunction on the ice all the dysfunction off of it so yeah they're going to enjoy this let them have it and who cares if if everybody hates Vancouver bring it on bring it on yeah we hate Vancouver sometimes did you see the roads <laughs> yesterday Stuff wasn't
0: salted at all. Anyways, I'm gonna <laughs> I missed the whole game that. because of that. Two and a half hour commute home from downtown to Port Moody. Yeah, two and a half hours pretty lucky, actually, based on what I
2: heard from some people. Oh, like, you was, be a pretty good time, Grady.
0: I was going through the back roads on Hastings, which none of them were plowed. Oh a lot of slipping and sliding was going on. Not with me, though, I must say.
2: All right. I like this. There's so much, so much interaction in the chat. And, Grady, get as many of you, as many of these as you can in because there's so much. I'm loving it. I'm loving the passion that we're seeing in the YouTube live chat from the fan base. It's a good time. It's a good time right now. With that, let's get to anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listeners' chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it is also our listeners' chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and through delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code, get ready, NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION and the numbers two five. Offer valid in Canada. Subject change. Terms, of course, do apply. All right. Get your questions in folks. Not even questions. Just get your thoughts in. I'm loving it. We got so much, got so much in the chat. Clifford Reynolds, this April, it will have been 30 years that I have been a full blown Canucks fan. 30 years ago, 1994. I'm buying in, Harmon. I'm, I'm totally buying in. I'm buying in to the playoff hype. And I'm sorry, but I, I, he might not appreciate me doing this, so nobody send it to him. But uh, JPAT, JPAT's Patterson's Point this weekend, I'm just going to say it's going to be fire. That's all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm not actually, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to say it's going to be fire. It's going to be must read. It's on CanucksArmy.com on Sunday. You will not want to miss that column from jeff patterson who not to call him old but he's been around like he's seen these teams he's seen these teams and he's seeing this team i'm really happy we have jpat on our site at a time like this his his column on sunday is going to be legendary uh wallach can't wait for the return of the white towels and car flags jesse c saying the ducks wagon is like one of those little red wagons hauling around quads gi joes in the
1: backyard
2: Jesse C again. Okay, Harmon, I'll throw this one to you. Uh Pimpan Strong pointed out that Dom is back on the Canucks bandwagon. Have we brought up his rankings? We haven't. The Athletic has the Canucks number one in the power rankings. And Harm, I know Dom is a friend of the show, but it really doesn't look good that the Athletic puts him back at number but puts the Canucks at number one in the power rankings right after they have an Eastern road trip.
1: Well. The other thing I was going to point out was I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even put the Canucks one. I would have had them number two because what's Winnipeg's record. Are they like 16, two 2 one and they're ahead of the Canucks They're first place in the NHL. So actually I think they got that wrong too, where I I would have had Canucks number two behind Winnipeg. Not that it makes a huge difference, but yeah, I mean, people are believing and I'm telling you the difference was earlier in the season, The Canucks in October got off to that terrific start. And what would happen is they went on that first Eastern road trip, played Toronto and they had a stinker, right? Quinn Hughes had a rough night, probably his worst game uh, of the season to that point. And so it was confirmation bias where people were like, oh, that's right. The Canucks are frauds. Quinn Hughes is, we were right about Quinn Hughes. He isn't that Norris trophy guy. And, of course, that's when Dom infamously went off and um, and started talking smack again. Whereas now you have this, yeah, Eastern Road Trip, and they pump all these teams, Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson, all these guys are going off, and you have no choice but to respect the Canucks now.
2: Yeah, you have no choice but to respect the Canucks. And I got to say, you should have no choice but to respect their fans as well, but I digress. Uh, a couple here. Obviously, a lot of people pointing out that Winnipeg deserves a ton of recognition, I'd say, and I don't know if this is fair, Harmon, but at least part of the thought process, I would think for the Canucks being number one would be that it's kind of like what you just said, that they were so hot to start the year, and then it looked like they were about to regress. The PDO machine's not stopping. Like, they are going to finish the year with a sky-high PDO. And there was that tweet, I think, last night, Um, I can't remember who had it, but someone pointed out... the. Five teams with the highest PDOs. The top two were the Oilers in the mid-80s that won the cup. One of them was a conference finalist, and then two others. I can't remember what ended up happening to those teams. But then there's the Canucks. Then there was the Canucks. And or excuse me, the one other. I can't remember what happened to them. But I don't know, man. Like, I'm buying in. I'm buying in. I think you go all in on this year. I've been saying that since like October. So it's not really me changing anything, but I really think it now. Like, I really think you go all in on this season. But again, I, I think. And I think we'll break this down more on Tuesday when we have Jeff Patterson on the show. But I think it's interesting to kind of look at what going all in with this team actually means, like what it actually looks like in practice, because I don't think it's as scary as everybody seems to think. I think when you have a team like this, you give them the tools to succeed. I don't think you worry too, too much about what it's going to look like in five years, because if you do, you might not do anything this year. And you also might not do anything in five years. You run that risk. So it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation. I think we'll have it on Tuesday's episode of the show. Uh, Okay, there's a lot here. There's so much. And folks, thank you so much for all uh, all of your interaction in the YouTube live chat. We really appreciate it. Let's get to this one. Really easy one, I think. But a good observation from Karan. Should they sit Ian Cole more often for rest in the second half of the season? He looked better in Pittsburgh after game off. Short answer is absolutely. Absolutely. They should. I think similar to what we've been saying all week long about load management for older players like Ian Cole, I think he looked great. I thought he looked great in that Pittsburgh game. And it's like you've been saying all season long, Harmon. The most important thing isn't Ian Cole in the middle of January. It's Ian Cole in the playoffs, right? And I I like it. I like the idea of giving him some more rest um, and kind of keeping that platoon thing going that they've got going now.
1: Absolutely. Nothing to really add beyond what you said. Uh, Zdorov probably
2: should have caught a short suspension for the Smith hit. I think we already touched on that enough. Kind of agree. Like, I agree. It it maybe, maybe should have been a short suspension. And again, it's that same conversation about players don't know what's allowed and what's not allowed. Uh, Andreas Schwab said, Whatever happened with the teaser the Canucks did back in December about the new helmet color? Or is there a new skate jersey coming in January? I still think it's Chrome helmets, and I think we'll see it for the final games in January. They've just been on the road. There's three black skate jersey nights in January, um, but we'll see. I think it's going to be in late January when the Canucks are back at home. And that's another thing. I can't remember who pointed out. And I don't have it right in front of me, but someone in the YouTube live chat pointed out that Canucks don't really have a ton of road trips left. Like They've gotten through the hardest parts of their schedule, and of course, they still play LA. Of course, they still play Vegas, but like they're at home for a lot of the season that's to come now. And that bodes well for a team that's played as well as the Canucks have at home. So it's an interesting observation. Okay, this one from Andrew. My neighbor has a 10-year-old. He said he's happy the kid can finally get excited for the team. Poor kid almost turned to the Leafs, but that wasn't allowed. And in all seriousness, Harmon, like, this is something we talk about and we have talked about is that the Canucks brand, like, you see it with your friends. I see it with my friends who are still our age, but still on the younger side to some extent. Like, a lot of our friends checked out during their teen years because during their teen years it was the heart of those awful Canucks teams those Magna Shapoos like that was when the Canucks were really really bad and a lot of people really checked out during those years like you and I have already talked about this we're starting to see some of our friends starting to come back to the team and starting to ask us questions as well and I just I don't know man like you missed out on an entire generation you're you at least ran the risk of missing out on an entire generation of kids who Just didn't grow up as Canucks fans if their parents weren't super into it. Like, that was the thing. I I know you probably had the same experience I did, but like at school, obviously I became a Canucks fan because of my grandpa. He's been watching them since their inaugural season, so it's a little different for me. But like when I was in school, and like the teams were rolling, rolling, and it was like grade school, and the 2011 team was at its at its core. Like we had days days where we would recap the Canucks games in class, like everybody in the classroom was talking about the Canucks game and it was like the teacher was talking about the Canucks game with the entire class. Like it was part of the curriculum basically. Do you think anybody was talking about Thomas Vanek in 2017? Do you think any grade five teacher was like pulling up the first line and the, the pairings and how, we, what the team was looking like and analyzing the Derek Pouliot trade? Do you think that was ever happening? No, it wasn't. It absolutely wasn't. So I just, I think it's great that you're starting to see uh, this starting to come back for a whole generation.
0: They were talking about Thomas Vanek's uh, clappers on breakaways that would go in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that did. was
2: me and my friends in like grade 11 or grade 10, <laughs> yeah. whenever those teams were happening. But yeah, like that, again, like I said, it was just me and a couple of my friends and a lot of those friends don't even watch the Canucks anymore.
0: Uh, just quickly, guys, you were talking about the schedule lightening up, Um a couple months back, I kind of looked into it. So it gets very fev- uh, favorable in terms of travel to end the season. So from February 20th to April 18th, which is the end of the season, they leave the Pacific only twice, April 3rd to Arizona, April 18th to Winnipeg. That's one back-to-back with 24 games. So 59 at home, nine on the road in 58 days, including a nine game home stretch in March. So in terms of travel schedule, like Man, you get to sleep in your bed that often. You don't have to change, you know, your body clock. Other than uh, out to Winnipeg and Arizona, I think that's going to go a long way, especially as they rest up, getting ready for the postseason.
2: There it's, and back
1: again. Oh, sorry, you had something hard. Go ahead. Yeah,
0: it's more than offset though by the quality of
1: opponents that they're yeah, playing. Yeah, there How is times they're going to sure. face Winnipeg, uh, Colorado again, L.A., Vegas, uh, and uh, colleague Dom had uh, had an article breaking down every team's remaining uh, schedule and how difficult it is relative to each other. I think earlier this week, just yesterday and the Canucks, even accounting for how many home games they have, they're projected to have the 12th most difficult schedule. So slightly above average difficulty. Um, And that's all driven because of how difficult their, their opponents are because that exercise also accounts for, they're basically spending the majority of uh, of these remaining games at home.
2: Final game of the year is against the Winnipeg Jets. Maybe that's for the President's Trophy. Maybe you got a game right at the end of the year that's for the President's Trophy. Could you imagine, Harmon, if that's what we're looking at? We might just have to do a watch party on that day, but I don't know. Maybe it'll happen. We're going to have one. Uh, in February, folks, late February. I'm going to give different hints of when it is in February until we actually announce it. But you will not want to miss it. Harmon and I are going to be there hosting. Grady will be there. Lachlan will be there. I'm hoping Cody's there. I'm hoping there's a lot of different people there, like there was last time. We were uh, we were pretty sold out last time. I think we were kind of above sold out. So I think we're gonna we're doing some stuff to increase our capacity uh, abilities at Greta there uh, because it was a great time. It was a great time. I wasn't there, but I heard it was a great time, and I'm very excited to be at this next one in february and i hope we see a lot of people from the youtube live chat there i'd love to meet some of you in person notice i said some of you but um (laughs) on the topic of um of winnipeg harm i just find it so interesting that you've got this team in a similar spot to the canucks where everybody thought okay if everything goes right they might be a playoff team like they I, i think dom called them and not to pick on dom but like i think dom called them the nhl's most mid team which i'm not trying to be dunk on Dahmer. It or seemed true. I thought it the same true. thing. I would have agreed with it. Absolutely. 100% I would have agreed with it. But you think about Jets fans. Not only do they have to live in Winnipeg, but <laughs> their team is like threatening them to leave again. Do you, do you remember that bizarre yeah. video that the Jets posted where it was like we don't want to move the team but we'll do it again if we have to buy season tickets. Like that was their season ticket promotion thing. So, and someone else brought it up about how we were poking fun at the Canucks season ticket thing, where it was structure accountability habits. First of all, yes. The person who asked, I do take all that back. I was wrong. Structure accountability habits are great, right? That structure accountability habits train right to the president's trophy in the Stanley cup. Go ahead, do it. But Winnipeg, like your, your, your promo season ticket video is buy tickets or else. I'm sorry that's tough to go through for any fan base so I'm 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 happy for the Winnipeg Jets fans that they get to have this. It's a great it's a great story. It's one of the best stories in the NHL.
1: Yeah, and I think they just had their second salad of uh the season earlier this week as well, so that's awesome um awesome news and yeah, they profile a little bit similar to to Vancouver in that they have a star goaltender, they have a defense by committee. Type situation. The Morrissey Demelo pair has quietly is probably up there with Hughes and Hronik in terms of the best D pairs in the NHL. When you look at uh, the underlying numbers and not just the analytics, but even just goals for and against at five on five, they've been absolutely dominant. Uh, Their top line with Shifley Ealers, and now Velarde is is cooking, and um, it feels good for them because Dubois wanted out. They have such a difficult time at- attracting players, and. Now they're the ones having the last laugh in the Dubois trade. So,
2: Well, they fleeced the Kings on the Dubois trade. Dubois sucks. Dubois is a bad player. I've I've said that so many times. And I just, yeah, I just want to throw it out there. Like I've said it so many times. I think he's probably not so much anymore because I think it's kind of worn off and everybody's catching up to me. But like, I think I've thought for a long time, he's one of the most overrated players in the game. Like actually, if I had to pick a player that's most overrated in the game, I'd probably still go with him. Like who's the most overrated player in the NHL? You can't pick PLD because I just did.
1: I'd have to think about it. There isn't like one immediate answer that comes to comes to mind. That's the difference between you and I. You think about everything. I just say a name. I'll tell you Vibes. if he's overrated
2: or underrated. Exactly.
1: And you gaslight me.
2: That's right. That's my that's what I do. But yeah, he's a floater. Like I, I I really I'm I'm not joking. Like I really don't like PLD. And I just I thought that trade was a fleecing as soon as it happened, and as it turns out, It is. Oh, Ty David with a good one. Jonathan Huberto. But I don't know if he's overrated He's not overrated at this
1: point. Everyone knows the contract sucks.
2: Okay, so not only do we know the contract sucks, but we also know that Calgary just hasn't been a fit in terms of system. Like, I don't think he's a bad player if he goes to a different system. PLD is a bad player no matter where he goes, and he keeps asking to go to other places. It's not like Huberto was saying... No, 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 no. I'm having problems in Florida. I need to go to this place. No, no. Now I'm having problems here. I need to go to this place. I have no time for Pierre-Luc Dubois at this point. I'm sorry, but if you have problems in four, what is it, three or four, three, di- three different organizations, the one that drafted you, the next one you go to, come on.
1: Like, But before you rip him, let's keep in mind, for a lot of these big-name forwards, it takes time to adjust. I mean, look at how slow Bo Horvat's start was in um w- with the Islanders last season, and... I looked at the, I looked at the numbers in terms of play driving points, um, five on five plus minus everything. Dubois' start in LA looks eerily similar to Horvat's start on uh, on the Islanders. Plus, look at Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer had a brutal start with the Devils. He's had an injury plagued season again here. So it's hit or miss sometimes with these top forwards in terms of finding a fit. Not to mention, for most of the season, he's played with like Alex Laferriere, who's a rookie that can't finish any of the chances Dubois sets up. So while the trade doesn't look good for them right now, at the end of the day, LA made that trade because they desperately need playoff success. And they probably view Dubois as one of the X factors that can be a difference maker because now they have centered depth with Kopitar, Deneau, and um, and Dubois. Those, those are three big centermen that Play a pretty responsible two way game, and can and can produce in a playoff style environment. So uh, that'll be the big test for whether that move is is worth it or not for them.
2: Anytime you can go get a guy with ten playoff goals in 30, 38 playoff games, you got to do it right. Harm. I mean, gaslighting you so you much. Same thing with JT
1: Miller <laughs> before his bubble run. That oh, he did, his track record was really poor. You can't judge guys off like. 20 30 playoff games yeah but i'd also suggest that you might want to get
2: someone who knows how to backcheck and will backcheck with consistency like you're basically saying go get andre kuzmenko
1: as a center oh come on he's you have not watched dubois enough if you think he's andre kuzmenko at center
2: i can't i can't stop gaslighting you today i don't know why but uh i appreciate it i think it's, it's like get on my nerve I... so
1: much if we were in person it would have strangled you by now <laughs>
2: oh it's a good time it's a good time uh okay this is a good one um i like this i like this one a lot <clears throat> um is cutter gochier the next peer looked And again again i i don't want to focus so much on the pld comparison i think i've written <laughs> enough but what do you make of the whole cutter gochier situation because this is an interesting one that's taken a lot of different turns and i know look it's a friday folks we're gonna go a little over time here
1: i think it's you know what? I, I sort of like the NHL having more interesting things happening. I, I don't mind the the drama, the storylines, the unexpected trades. I mean, think about how boring the NHL is usually in terms of trades. Most of them are so predictable where it's like you see one Matthew Kachuk trade and you're like, oh my God, this never happens. And now the Gauthier Drysdale trade happens. And when does that ever happen where two younger blue chip players get traded? Uh so I mean look from a Philly perspective they deserve to be I mean look first of all we don't we don't know the exact story of what happened him ghosting the flyers by all indications is a pretty bad look but from a pure product of the league standpoint I mean think about how how much the NBA has sort of grown the game just because you have superstars moving all the time and not that you, you want the NHL happening to that extent, but think about how many more people were talking about the NHL off season when the Matthew Kachuk blockbuster happened. I had people that weren't really hockey fans that were like, Oh my God, the Kachuk trade. Ooh, that's interesting. So I don't know. I'm, I'm biased where first of all, I don't have a strong take on the go chase situation just because we don't even know the full reason why he left, but I I like when when fun unexpected trades happen because look we're the trade deadline's gonna roll around and I'm and I can bet you it's probably gonna be pretty boring I mean look at the types of players that are on these trade boards it's not a very exciting group at all
2: yeah this is just interesting like the Gochea situation because like. It- like i mean people are obviously doing the eric Lindros comparison but usually when we see a player not wanting to sign with the team that drafted them we just see them go about it differently and i mean look maybe it, maybe it's some bias because there was the whole like thing uh Likermack-y and Gautier going at each other in the handshake line again i don't know i don't know if it's bias, but i don't like cutter Gautier. like i didn't like him when the handshake line thing happened i was like obviously i'm like all right well Obviously Jonathan Lucarecki is in the right here because I'm a you know, I'm just a huge homer, but um now with this too, I'm just like all right, I'm curious cuz he's going to get booed like crazy in Philly and I think it's going to be hilarious. Like I think if there was one city you don't want to piss off in the NHL, like, it's probably Philly, I'd say.
1: Montreal would be up there too.
2: Yeah, really? Bunch of Pierre-Luc Dubois coming after you? I don't know.
1: I don't think that's that bad. <laughs> what do you have against French Canadians? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no no i can't i can't of course but in all seriousness like I, I i would rather i would rather have a montreal crowd booing me than philadelphia but again we're talking hockey so i think i would go montreal yeah, I, actually. I think you're right i think you're right i wouldn't want montreal fans booing me they're vicious yeah, yeah.
0: got it in two different languages too which i guess if you I, don't speak french you can't understand it but how about Ty boston david.
2: what
0: about Ty boston? david
2: Sorry, sorry. One sec. Hi, David said, what do booze sound like in French?
0: <laughs> Probably the same. <laughs> uh, oh, what about, sorry, what about Boston get... fans? They can bet pretty vicious, too. I would say, like, them and Philly are pretty much almost on the same level. Wasn't Philly heard... throwing batteries? Some Flyers fans throwing batteries at someone? That rings yes. a bell. Someone in the yeah. chat maybe correct me on that
2: now i can't quote it but if anybody wants to see philly summed up search bill burr philadelphia incident and just listen to that like i don't know if either of you have ever seen that but search it after the game bill burr was doing a set at a comedy festival and the it was like a nine hour comedy festival or something and bill burr was like one of the last ones and that crowd was just booing whoever came out before they even told any jokes (laughs) and a lot of the performers were just walking off the stage so bill burr refused to walk off the stage, did his full set, but didn't tell any jokes. He just talked smack about the city of Philadelphia and everybody in the crowd. And he just kept going and it was awesome. It was, it's great. It's great. Go watch that. It was hilarious. It was I hilarious. love
1: Philadelphia. When I went on the road last year, the Phillies were playing at the time and it was crazy. I've never seen. Imagine
0: if that in district, April, right. With all the no, stadiums around all, it. All, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: But also just downtown. Like imagine in April, Seeing, and I'm not exaggerating here, seeing 70% of people rocking some Canucks apparel in some way, like a t-shirt, a hat, a jersey, like 70%. Think about that. Not we're we're not talking about 70% of sports fans. We're talking about 70% of literally the people in Philly were rocking Philly's here. And it was an electric atmosphere. Going out was was a lot of fun in Philly. People were super nice there. So yeah, I know they can get. Vicious and really um, passionate about their sports, and they can turn ugly. But I love Philly the one time I got to visit. How so. many Philly cheesesteaks did you crush? None. I'm not oh. a huge fan of cheesesteaks.
2: I on. gotta say, like, I first of all, that's a bad take, Harm, but yeah. um, I, I gotta say, like, one. Boston and Philly, like, I've heard really good things about the city, and I just don't understand why their sports fans are so awful. And I mean, New York, same sort of thing, Yankees fans. Like they boo a player. If he goes on a five game hit list streak, it's insane to me, but
0: anyways, high, high I expectations. Know. I think, yeah, that's
2: fine. Probably. High expectations. Have some higher expectations for yourself. I don't know. Like maybe walk <laughs> to the stadium at some point. Just, Mass I do man. Yeah. I don't know, man. Anyways, go watch the Bilbo Philadelphia thing. Don't watch it. If you've got kids in the room, folks, but uh, yeah, that, that one really made me laugh. We got to ask Frank about that. Frank's from Philly. Wonder if he was in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Do we have anything else that we want to get to? We have oh wait. Okay, so we gotta do this. We gotta do this because our our Monday show is gonna be at 2 p.m. folks. It's gonna be remote, but can I play at 10 a.m. on Monday? So we're gonna do our light the lamp contest today for Monday's game. We're doing it for two games from now. So we're not doing it for Saturday. Saturday, the social post is gonna be on the um on the social social channels, but for today, we're gonna do the Monday light the lamp contest and we're gonna post this clip on monday morning so future people i'm recording this in the past uh but it's time for light the lamp brought to you by our friends at four winds brewing are we good to go on this grady vancouver is playing columbus this morning and we want to know who's going to score the first goal for Vancouver. If you nail it, you could win a $25 gift card to the Four Winds Tap Room located at 72nd and River Road in Delta. Enter by following us on social media. Keep an eye out for today's show clip and comment who you think will light the lamp and score the first goal tonight. Winners will be contacted directly. Check us out at Canucks Army or at Canucks Convo on Twitter, at CanucksArmy.com on Instagram, and Canucks Army on Facebook. And make sure you ask about Four Winds Light, light Logger at your local liquor store or have some delivered to your front door through the online shop at Four Winds brewing.ca
1: Harmon, any predictions for who's gonna score the first goal on monday no i'm rage quitting because last uh last yesterday we were doing this for the pittsburgh game and i was like i want to say brock besser because that's who i actually think and you can go back i actually said that I want to say Brock Besser, but I feel like that's too obvious and boring of a pick because he's on the lot of lines, So I'm going to go with Sam Lafferty and then Besser scores twice, including the first goal. So I'm rage quitting. I, I, I hate this game. I don't like
2: it. <laughs> Let me go with Andre Kuzmenko. And some Ty David in the chat said Kuzi is going to start scoring soon. I love it. I love it. I'm yeah, going I'm with take like a Andre week's strike. strike. Fair enough. I should do that from Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor, but we'll see. Uh, okay, I mean, let's get to our... Did that- this week. I did by accident. <laughs> so I won't do it next week. Also, by accident, gonna, he says. I'm gonna throw this out there. Surprise producer on Monday. Grady is gonna be tied up. We have a surprise producer, and all I'm gonna say, it's somebody that the people know. I'm just gonna say that. Anyways, uh, let's get to our Betway bet of the day. Brought to you by our friends over at Betway. Pull it up, Grady. It's a good one. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> The Vancouver Canucks to win the Stanley Cup at plus 900 odds, a $10 bet returns you $100 over on Betway. It must be 19 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly over at Betway. Now, the real reason I bring this up, because I brought this up a few times, the real reason I bring this up is because I just wanted to mention that after last night's game, a lot of the sports books changed their odds. The Vancouver Canucks are now the favorite with the Winnipeg Jets and the Colorado Avalanche, who have the same odds to win. The stanley cup i think a couple days ago when i pulled this bet up they were at plus 1100 right now they are at plus plus 900 so those three teams are the ones that uh the sports books are thinking are going to lift lord stanley's mug and of course you know on this show we think the exact same thing so for my co-host Harmon dial and our technical producer grady sass and our intern lachlan irvin my name is david quadrelli thank you so much for another week of canucks conversation
1: You're such a homer, Quads.
2: (laughs) Canucks conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app.